Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for um, the opportunity that we have to gather around your word, to, to worship you, to encourage one another, to build one another up. And so, Father, I pray that you would do that tonight. We know that you were present with us at all times, but you were present with us in a special way when we're together. And so tonight, I pray that you would move. Holy Spirit, that you would speak and that we would walk out of this room um, not unchanged, but changed. That you would form us um, as, we, as we spend this next uh, few minutes together, God. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, hey guys, how's it going? Um, my name, if we haven't gotten to, met, uh, to meet, is Justin. Uh, I am the church planting resident here um, at Redeemer. Yeah, what's up? And so um, uh, we, we are uh, in the middle of our James uh, series. If you've been with us the whole semester, then you know this. And you know um, that as we have walked through um, James, which by the way, has been an incredible series in my opinion. Um, it has been super helpful to me. Um, I hope it's been helpful to you. I hope it's been encouraging to you. I hope it's been challenging to you. I hope it's made you a little bit more um, like Jesus so far, and, and my prayer is that it would continue to do that. Um, but as you know that we've been walking through this book of James, and we've kind of asked a lot of uh, different questions, like um, ultimately, like what is God's ultimate goal for our lives? That was week one, uh, which we concluded was that to become more like Jesus, that, that God created us to be a certain person, and sin has kept us from being that certain person, and, and Jesus has, has made a way for us to become who God created us to be, and that is to be like um, Jesus. And then we kind of talked about uh, what, what does a true follower of Jesus look like? What does real faith look like? And, and, and how does that play out in real life? And how does it play out in our works? Or we asked the question last week of how it plays out in the way that we use our words. And so we've been asking the, the question, and the main question of the book of James really is, um, what does a true follower of Jesus look like? Like, if you've been wondering what the main idea of this whole letter from Jesus's brother is about, um, it's, it's what does a real follower of Jesus look like? But tonight, we're going to get into a section where uh, James asks a slightly different question. So we're not done answering uh, the what does a real follower of Jesus look like question, but we're going to ask a, a slightly different question. In fact, it's the next logical question after we answer the first one, right? So if the, if the first question is what does a real follower of Jesus look like, and then we get the answer to that, then the next follow-up question is, well, then how do I become that, right? Like, how do, how do, I, how do I do that? Right, so if God's like, hey man, so my, my purpose for you is to become more like Jesus, then, then, then my response to God is, okay, how? Like, how, how, how am I able to do that? What, what is your plan, God? How are you going to make me more like Jesus? And how do I participate in that? That's the kind of questions we're going to be asking um, tonight. And so if you've got your Bible, um, you can turn to, to James 3. We're kind of in the middle of this letter. James 3, if you don't have your Bible, don't worry. It'll be on the screen. I'm going to read it. We're going to read a lot of verses. We're going to read the whole thing, and then we'll talk about it um, afterwards. And so uh, hopefully you, you're, you're there or almost there. So 3, starting in verse 13, James says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Key sentence here. This is not wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. 
For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Another key sentence. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, another key sentence here. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Another key sentence. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, who is also in the Bible called the ruler of this world or the ruler of this age. And he will flee from you and draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Key sentence, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So no, as we were reading that, um, if, if you're really paying attention, you're really thinking, you're kind of wondering, okay, what, what the heck is that all about? There's a lot of different things going on there. There's a lot of specific words that, um, that, that James uses to, to, to describe what's going on with, with probably specifically with the readers of this letter. Now, you're not writing to a, a very specific group of people, but he is writing to people and he's probably generally speaking about what's going on with them. So he, he mentions things like, like jealousy and, and being quarrelsome and, and uh, uh, being prideful and not humble or, or um, not making peace but getting into to fights or judging others. And, 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 and so he, he uses all these different things and he talks about ways that these people are not being like Jesus. And, and, we're, and we, we just don't have the time to, to break down every single one of these. Like we said at the week one, James sometimes can be like one liner after one liner after one liner that are kind of a little bit disconnected. Um, and so I wish I had the time to break these down line by line, but we just don't have that kind of time uh, this semester. But there is, if you were paying attention, and I tried to help you with that key sentence talk, there is a, a central theme to this kind of big paragraph or this section in the book of James. And, and, and the, the theme that you can see is, is kind of in, in, the, in the dichotomy between these two, world, these two words, right? He uses the word the world or, or earthly, but the world, the concept of the world. And then he uses words like God, heaven from above, and so you've got these two categories. We're going to refer to them for the rest of the night as the world and then God. So you've got the world and then you've got God. And, and, and just so we're clear, when, when James says the world, what he doesn't mean is like planet Earth. He doesn't mean God's creation. The Bible is very clear that this world, the planet that we live on, creation that exists, that God um, made for us is very good. That the, the, in, the, in the story of Christianity, the teachings of Christianity do not teach us that we are to leave this world someday and go to another place, but rather that heaven is coming to earth. 
that God is restoring his good creation back to the way he intended all things to be. And so when James says the word world and uses it in a negative sense, he's not talking about creation or planet earth. What he is talking about is the brokenness of this age. And, 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 and I know that's a weird way to say that, the brokenness of this age, but, but you have to understand that, that in the coming of Jesus, God's kingdom has come. That's what Jesus says, right? That repent and believe because the kingdom is at hand. Right? And, and he, what he has accomplished on the cross is finished. We just sang about that. It is finished. It is done. It's finished. And things have been restored, but it's not yet complete. It's what theologians would call the already but not yet. That, that we can see God's kingdom invading this world, the brokenness of this age, but it's not yet complete. And we look forward to a day when heaven, where all things are as God intended them to be, comes to earth and this creation, including you and me, are restored back to right relationship with God and we are made into who he created us to be, like Jesus. Are you with me? And so right now, we are still in the brokenness of this age. We're still in the world, okay? And then, of course, you've got God. I've kind of already explained heaven, where things got, you know, things from God, where, where things are, are as God intended them to be, that kind of a thing. So we've got these two concepts, the world, and then we've got God. And James uses this other word a lot, wisdom. And, and he says, hey, the world and God both have wisdoms about them. And, and, and I would, you know, if I was writing the letter to James, um, I might put them in quotes, Right? I might put the word wisdom there in quotes. That, that, that God has a wisdom that comes from God, but the world also has a wisdom that, 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 comes, um, that, that it offers. They both offer some sort of teaching. They both offer some sort of truth. They both offer a narrative. They both make promises. They both have their own gospel that they preach. And so James, throughout this paragraph, throughout this section, is wanting you to ask the question, which is forming me? If God's main goal for my life is for me to be formed into the image of his son Jesus, to be who he created me to be, then the next question I need to be asking, and honestly, college students, like I've been in college ministry for a pretty long time now, almost a decade, and, uh, and, and, and I, I, you guys are in an extremely formative time. Like, I, I don't know if you noticed that. It might just be the water you're swimming in and you don't get it, but, but you, you, you are in an extremely formative time. In fact, fact, you guys are making some of the most important decisions that you will ever make in your lifetime to determine who you're going to become later. Like, I don't know if you knew that. I'm not trying to add pressure on you. Uh, but that's, that's happening right now. And we'll talk about that in a second. But you're in this extremely formative time. You're very malleable. You're deciding who you're going to become. And so this might be, as we were writing this James series, I looked at the, this question that we, that we wrote, this title of this um, uh, message. This might be the most important question that you can ask yourself right now. The question is, what is forming me? God or the world? What is forming me? God or the world? Now we know that God's goal for you is to be formed into the image of Jesus. Romans 8 says that. I have predestined you to be conformed into the image of the Son. That's, Romans, that's from Romans 8. Um, we know that that's God's uh, goal for all those who are um, followers of Jesus. And we know that his gospel and his spirit are powerful to do that for those who are following Jesus. 
But here's the deal. The world we live in, the, the brokenness of this age, also has a gospel that it preaches. It also has an agenda for your life. It also wants to make you a promise. And here's the deal. Your choice in life is not to be formed by God or not to be formed. And let me say that again. Your choice in life is not to be formed by God or not to be formed. In fact, it is impossible not to be formed. You are a human being. You created to grow and to change. You are always being formed by something. If you are not being formed by God, you are being formed by something else. And so it is a really good question to ask yourself, what am I being formed by? Now, now, now some of you, because, uh, well, uh, some of you are, are, are reacting to that maybe in your head. If you're one of these intellectuals, you're thinking, you know, like, okay, no, listen, I'm not formed by anything, all right? I'm me, I'm an individual, I'm my own person. I decide who I become, I decide what I like, I decide what I do, I decide how I live my life. I'm, I'm me. And let me just tell you, I know you're not gonna know because it's the water that you're swimming in, but it is your post-enlightenment, post-modern, individualistic Western culture that has taught you that, that has formed you to think that. You know, it is very popular right now for people to believe that they are rational, autonomous selves, that, that they, 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 can be, they can go through life without being formed, that you can be a rational, autonomous self. And, and, and honestly, like, it's like the folks, I don't know if you guys had these guys in, in, in high school or not. I had them in high school, these guys who um, uh, would, would start to dress differently. Like I had several, several friends in high school who would who start dressing differently from everyone. They weren't wearing the same clothes as everybody would. They weren't listening to the same music. They weren't going to the same restaurants. They weren't doing the same things. They weren't hanging out um, with everybody. They, they were kind of separating themselves from society and they actually called themselves. I don't know about your high school, my high school. They were like, we're nonconformists. Like I had several friends were like, I'm a nonconformist. I'm a nonconformist. Yeah, I'm nonconforming. And the thing is, is that there was like 40 of them that were all dressing the same and listening to the same music and hanging out together. And I'm like, really, you're a nonconformist. Like, you, are, you are always being formed by something. You are always being formed by something. And so the question is, are you being formed by God or are you being formed by the world? So what is the world's agenda for you? What is the world's promise to you? What is the gospel that it preaches? Um, there's lots of ways to answer this question specifically about different generations and, and the specific answers do vary depending on where you're from and what time period you live in and, and what generation you are and that kind of stuff. So we're gonna talk specifically about how I think the world is attempting to form us as a generation, um, but there is one overarching um, answer that is true for all people that the world has always been trying to form people into and we find that in James 4, verse four. We'll put it up on, on the screen here. Um, James 4, verse four. Uh, James says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, check this out, whoever, to, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So what James is saying is that though the specifics are different with every generation and every context and have different parts of the world and cultures and stuff like that, that there is one ultimate goal that the world has for you and it's literally the opposite of God's goal for you. 
God's goal for you is to form you into the image of Jesus. The world's goal for you is to make you an enemy of God. It's literally the opposite. In fact, what I would say is that while God wants to form you, the world wants to deform you. And, and, and here's the thing. Before we can start to, to examine uh, uh, how we are formed by God, we've got to wrestle with something pretty difficult to admit. And that is the fact that in this deformation, formation conversation, we are not starting at zero. We are not starting on a blank slate. We are not starting at the, at the, at the, at the ground level and thinking, okay, how do I, you know, where am I going? We have, we have already been deformed. That as you have grown up, some of you are 18, some of you are 19, 20, 21, 22, 25. It's okay, bro. Um, you, you, you have been formed over a lifetime. And some of you have grown up in Christian context. You've grown up in Christian homes. Uh, praise God for that. And you have been formed in ways that have made you more like Jesus. That's incredible. But there's not one person in here who hasn't also been deformed. In fact, you were, you were born into a broken and sinful world as a sinner. You started out deformed. So we're not starting in the positive. We're not starting at zero. We're starting in the negative. And it's very important that we all admit that, that we are deformed human beings. It's like a 12-step program. You can't solve the problem until you admit you have one. We are all deformed. And you know what? It's not just that we are a victim of this broken world's sin and stuff, and so it has deformed us since we were kids. It's not just that we were a victim. Certainly, some of the things that have deformed us, some of the things that have really affected who we are, were not of our own fault. We, part of living in a broken world, part of living in a sinful world is that we do fall victim to the sin of others. So not everything that has affected who you are right now is your fault, but you are not just a victim. You are a willing participant. The world has deformed you and me because we have allowed it to. Even we have wanted it to. We have asked it to. We have given over. We have believed the lies. We have believed the gospel that the world preaches. And we have said, I will go that way and I will let that form me. And you know what's crazy? Those of us who are in Christ, those of us who are, who are Christians, uh, for most of us, as we have grown as followers of Jesus, we begin to realize how the world has been deforming us. And if you're like me, you still every day give into that deformation. You still go and say, yeah, yeah, I'll believe that lie. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll go there. Yeah, 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 I'll, I'll do that world. I'll let you deform me just, just a little bit because it'll give me some pleasure. It'll give me some entertainment for a second. I, I, will, I, will, I will let this world deform me. We know that it's deforming us and we still are willing participants in the deformation of the world. So what I want to do for the rest of our time is I want to talk about the strategies that I think the world right now has to deform you and I. Our generation specifically, I'm like one of the youngest of millennials. Most of you in here are kind of the oldest of Gen Z. And so we're, we're kind of growing up in the same world, okay? And so I want to talk a little bit specifically 
um, about our generation and the world that we're growing up in and the culture and the context that we are in and how that world seeks to deform us and the ways that it tries to do that. And then I want to take each of those strategies that the world has and I want to equip us with a strategy to lean into how God wants to form us into the image of Jesus. Are you with me? And so we're going to get real practical. Hopefully it's very helpful. If you've got a notebook or something, your phone, whatever, I, I very much encourage you um, to take notes. But here's, here's the deal. If we have been willing participants in the deformation that the world has, has, has um, uh, done to us, if we have, uh, we've taken the offer, we've believed the lie, and we have been willing participants in the, in the deformation that the world uh, wants for us, then the question is, well, like, how do we, how do we counteract that? How, how, do we, how do we lean into what God um, wants to do in our hearts and in our minds and in our bodies? Like how, do, how, how do we lean into how God wants to form us? Well, hopefully maybe this will be a helpful picture. In uh, the Cold War, in the 1960s through the 1980s, many of you guys know uh, that uh, the communists of the eastern side of the world um, built a wall through the middle of Berlin, Germany that we call the Berlin Wall. And um, they built this wall to keep the citizens of East Berlin and East Germany out of the West and also to keep the Western ideology and culture outside. And so they were keeping their people in and they were keeping the Western culture and ideology out. And, and, and when they built this wall, a lot of people didn't know what was going on on the other side of that wall. A lot of people in the West didn't know. But what we, what we know now, you can go Google this. You can look at posters and pamphlets and, and, and TV shows and, and, and radio broadcasts and stuff like that that, that, that they were feeding into the, the East. What, what they would do is, is that the, the communists, the, the folks who were the rulers of the Eastern side, um, would... Uh, feed their people this propaganda about how bad the West was and how the people in the West weren't really free and, and how all the, all the things about the West were terrible. They were evil. They were out to get the East. And so this wall was for your protection. And you, like, thank God your government cares about you and offers you this awesome life, that kind of a thing. They were, they were feeding them this propaganda over and over and over again. And of course, like there's no social media, there's no internet, like there, there's nothing like for, for people to know any different. And so people are swimming in that water. People are living on the Eastern side and they think that they are free. They think that they have it better than the West. They think that the West is evil and out to get them. And so the Western side had a real issue that they needed uh, to solve because they, they, I think they saw in the future that, they, that this wall was coming down. And so they thought, how do we, how do we give correct information to the folks on the east side. So when that wall comes down, they're not just completely clueless and we just shock their world and that kind of a thing. You with me? And, and so the West decided that they're going to um, go on this, this counter propaganda campaign. So they start tossing pamphlets and flyers over the wall. They start broadcasting television shows and stuff like that. And the eastern side would try to block the Western television stuff. I don't know how that works. Anybody, I mean, you probably don't either because you're Gen Z and you don't know what an antenna is. But the, uh, the, uh, they, would, they would try to broadcast this television um, series to the Eastern side. And there are actually stories 
There are actually stories of kids on the eastern side of the wall that would go up onto their rooftops and bring a TV late at night and they would point the antenna to the west and they would try their best to get western television. And so some of them were successful and and this started to grow and and people on the eastern side started to realize the truth that that what the eastern side, what the world they were living in, the propaganda that was being fed to them was a lie and they weren't as free as they thought they were. And, and, And so I think that's what we have to do. That's, that's our job as followers of Jesus in the brokenness of this age, in this world, that while the world feeds us propaganda, the world makes promises, the world says freedom is over here, life is over here, pleasure and happiness are over here. While the world gives us this propaganda, we have got to fill ourselves with that counter propaganda. And we have got to remind ourselves of the truth over and over and over again. In other words, in a world that is trying to form us or deform us, we've got to continually go up on our rooftop and point an antenna straight to God and say, I need you to form me. Okay, and so we're going to talk practically about how to do that. I've got three things, three strategies that the world tries to use uh, to to deform you. And, And the first one is the content that you take in. The content that you take in. This is a unique challenge for our generation. Like I, I remember the, a, a world before smartphones. I remember when our president, uh, it, was, uh, it was Barack Obama's first term, when he had a Blackberry and everyone was like, what the heck is that thing, right? And he was the president. Nobody else had one of those. And, and so uh, the smart, I remember a world before smartphones, but I don't, I, I, barely, barely. And, and, and you guys might remember a, a little bit, but it, it, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty um, it, it has infiltrated everything about your life and your childhood, the smartphone and, and the information age, that this is a unique problem for our generation that we are um, um, just wildly inundated over and over again, 24 seven with constant information and content and entertainment. We're the only generation in history that has had to deal with this this way. And you have got to believe it is forming us. You've got to believe that it is changing us. Did you know that the average adult spends 41.9 minutes a day on YouTube? Netflix users average 3.2 hours of content a day. The average Christian, so this is, those are the average adults. Now this is the average Christian millennial, right? So basically you and me, the average Christian millennial takes uh, for every 3,000 hours of digital content that the average Christian millennial takes in, for every 3,000 hours of digital content, 150 is considered Christian. 3,000 hours of digital content and 150 of it is even remotely Christian. You've got to believe that's forming you. Follower of Jesus, you've got to believe that that's deforming you. Like I'm not saying that you need to only look at Christian content, but if the ratio is 20 to one, that's deforming you. How is it forming us? It it used to be let me, let me just kind of just talk about the world. And, and this is going to sound really cynical, but it, it's very true. Um, it used to be 
that there was great economic gain in making the average American citizen into a consumer. It w- the, the goal of the powers that be would be to sell products to you and to, um, to create a need for that product that you would have a perceived need, that you would look at an advertisement, that you would watch a commercial, that kind of a thing, and you would see the product and more importantly, that you would see the need for that product and then you would be like, I need that and then you would go buy that. That used to be the strategy that people had a lot of money to be, there was a lot of money to be made in you being a consumer. Now the strategy has shifted. Now there are a few people in this world who have a lot of money to be made, have a lot of economic reason to turn you from the consumer to the consumed. That these social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, like whatever, name it, um, YouTube, these are ingeniously designed through algorithms and stuff that I don't understand, but they are ingeniously designed to keep you on that screen and actually shape the way you think, shape your desires, shape the way you even behave. And, And what they have found is that they can make a lot of money if you are constantly on this screen and they can sell your attention to the advertisers, to the people who are selling the product. Now you have gone from the consumer to now the goal is to make you the consumed. If they can keep you in that fake world on your screen, then they can make a lot of money off of you. And you thought you were a rational, autonomous self. This is the world that we live in. This is the water that we are swimming in. There is, I can't say it enough, there is money to be made in deforming you. And there are a lot of people out there who are trying to. And here's the deal. I'm not saying that your TV is a devil box or that Netflix is from Satan or that your iPhone is from hell. I have an iPhone right here. It's like an iPhone 5. And so um, it's, yeah, it's pretty old. But uh, I noticed recently that my pictures on Instagram don't look near as nice as some of your pictures on Instagram. And my camera is like from a long time ago. Um, so, uh, but uh, I'm not saying those things are bad. The content, what I am saying is that the content that you're taking in is forming you. That's what I'm saying. That the content that you take in is changing you. And much of it is without a doubt deforming you. And some of you guys are, are watching some things that, um, or listening to some things or reading some things that are, it's pretty easy to see. But I know for, for a lot of us that this is a complicated question. You, you think about the content that you take in and you think like, okay, well, what do I do about it? Well, I got, I got two things. This is how we counteract it. Okay, so that's this world strategy for um, deforming us. Here's how we counteract it. Um, uh, one, I want you to curate your content. I want you to curate your content. Now, it's a little more complicated than just looking at the things that you watch, the options that you have on the screen or the options that you have on Spotify or the books or, or whatever it is, looking at the content that you have and, and saying, okay, well, that one's a sin. Okay, that's okay. That one's sinful. Okay, that one's all right. Like that, that, that's, it's not that easy. And, and all of you know this, that it's just not that easy. It's a lot more complicated. So I'm not telling you um, that, that a certain show specifically that you are watching is sinful. If you want to ask me about a specific show, um, I'll tell you whether or not I think it's sinful or not, but I'm not going to do that here from, from the stage. Um, uh, but uh, the, it, it's more complicated than that. But here, here's what I do think that you should do. 
I don't know necessarily that you should ask whether or not this is sinful. I think you should ask, is this helpful? Check out what Dallas Willard said, kind of a, a Christian hero of mine and um, a, an expert in formation. Um, he says, rather than ask, is this sinful? The better question is, who am I becoming? And so as you look at the content that you take in, the Netflix shows, the movies, the, the, the music that you listen to, the, the YouTube videos that you watch, the accounts that you follow on Instagram, the question is not, is this sinful? Because honestly, we'll find a lot of loopholes for that. The question is, is this helping me become more like Jesus? That's the right question. Is this helpful in making me more like Jesus? Who am I becoming? The second thing, curate the content. And the second thing is replace the content. Imagine, remember the, the amount of time we talked about 41.9 minutes on YouTube, 3.2 hours on Netflix a day, both of those a day. The average iPhone user touches their iPhone more than 2,000 times a day. Imagine that kind of time spent in God's word. Imagine that kind of time spent in the Bible. Imagine what would happen. How would you grow? How much more like Jesus would you look right now if you spent that kind of time in his word? Now, here's the problem. For most of us, we have a misunderstanding of what the Bible really is. We think that it's a reference book that we go to when we need instruction or encouragement. That's what we treat it as. And so some of you read your Bible a lot and stuff, but, but you, um, you read it um, for not bad reasons, not sinful reasons. That's not what I'm saying. But you're, you're misunderstanding what the Bible is really about. What the Bible is supposed to be is meditation literature. And what that means is that the Bible is designed for you to immerse yourself in it, to read it over and over and over again over a lifetime, to, to live your life in the Bible, to let it wash over you, to let it change your heart language, to, to immerse yourself in it so that it has a chance to form you over a lifetime um, into the image of Jesus. And so the question I would ask for you is like, are you spending 15 minutes a day reading two sentences in the Bible or are you immersing yourself in the scriptures? Are you allowing it to wash over you? Are you allowing it to change the way you view the world, to change the way you speak, to change the way you think, to change the way you live? Are you allowing the Bible to form you? And listen, like, here's the thing. I'm not trying to add something to your plate We'll talk about this. I'm not trying to add something um, to your plate. Um, uh, what I am doing is I'm asking you, I'm calling you, and I think Jesus is calling you to choose formation over entertainment. That's what I'm calling you to do. I, I, listen, I love, you can ask my, my wife, I love movies. I love movies. I think they're so good. I love a good story. I think that's why I love the Bible so much. Um, but if I had a choice, if at the end of my life, I looked back and thought, okay, if I could do this all over again, and I've got two choices, I've got being entertained for hours a day, and I've got being formed for hours a day. I guarantee you at the end of my life, I'm going to choose formation over entertainment. I guarantee it. So that was the content that you take in. Now I want to talk about the community that you keep. Now, like I said, 
You guys are in such a formative stage right now. And I've been in college ministry for, uh, for a long time. And, and talk to anybody who works with college students, they will tell you what I just told you a minute ago, is that, that you guys are making some of the most um, formative decisions of your life. And one of those decisions, one of the decisions that you are making right now, or maybe have already made, um, um, for, for determining who you're going to become in the future is who am I going to hang out with? Who am I going to surround myself with? Now, I am not here to tell you that Christians should not hang out with non-Christians. In fact, I would say the exact opposite. Christians should be surrounded by non-Christians all the time. That you should have friendships with unbelievers so you can love them and you can serve them and you can show them, them Jesus. Like I, like I, I, don't, I don't want to, to start a Christian clique or a holy huddle. That's not the, that's not the idea, Okay. We're not all going out to the desert together and starting like a monastery. Like that's not what we're doing, okay? But, but you've got to really look at your life and the community that you keep and ask, which community am I giving the most permission to form me? Which community am I rooted in? Because some of you, you're in this community right now, but that looks like Tuesday nights for an hour, and two hours at GC and an hour on Sunday morning. And we already talked about the 20 to one ratio of, of uh, non-Christian content to Christian content. I won't even do the math for you on within a week, seven day period, how little time that is spent in your community. Like attending the, the weekly Christian events is essential, but it doesn't make you a part of the community. It doesn't make you rooted. It doesn't make you a part of this family where the people, can, um, uh, 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 the people in here can have permission to form you and to shape you and to sharpen you and to encourage you, to correct you, to challenge you, to help you in your journey of becoming more like Jesus. You have got to root yourself in the community of God's people. You've got to root yourself in that community. And here's the deal. Here's why I say this. Because some of you, some of you, and this is going to click for you as soon as I say it, some of you are, are, are hanging out with groups of people and you're struggling with habitual sin. You're struggling with some sort of specific habitual sin that you can't seem to shake, that you can't seem to get over, you can't seem to defeat. And, and, and here's the thing, if you looked at your life, you would realize that you keep hanging out with the same people who are pulling you towards that sin every single time. And, and, and listen, there, there are times when we can go into those circles. Jesus was surrounded by sinners and, and surrounded by people um, who uh, were not godly. Um, but there, there are times when we can step into those places. But for some of us, the season is not the right season right now. And we need to really work on becoming more like Jesus. And we need to get into a place where we can be formed by people who are going to encourage us towards God, not towards the world. And some of you, some of you are, are, because you are in sin, because you have done something that you don't want other people to know about, that you feel ashamed about, that you have isolated yourself from your community, that you have gone running because apparently God can only see you when you're with other Christians. And, and so you, you, you've, you've run away from the communities out of some sense of shame or, or, or guilt. And I'll, I just want to tell you, I love you. That is the exact opposite of what you need to do. That is the exact opposite of what you need to do. Satan works best when you are isolated. The world look, works best when you are isolated. And so you need to come back into the community. You need to admit what you have done or, or admit what you're going through, admit your struggle and allow the people that God has put around you to form you, to encourage you, to challenge you, 
to welcome you back into God's arms, so to speak, and to share the gospel with you. You need that community. And the third thing, last thing, is that habits that you develop. Now, there are several uh, of the most foundational spiritual habits that I like to talk about. I call them the big six. And, and, and they are, the big six are time alone with God. So daily time spent specially with God. Reading your Bible, being immersed in the Bible. We talked about that one. Uh, prayer, a life of prayer, like a constant, constant communion and communication with God. Um, being on mission, living a life that is devoted to, the, to what God is doing in the world and following him in that. And then rest or Sabbath. And being able to stop every day and, and obey the rhythm that God has designed you for um, and being able to reconnect with him um, every week. And so all these things are, are really good and we see them, we see Jesus doing them. That's where we got these things is we see them in the life of Jesus and to become more like Jesus, we need to do the things that Jesus does. That's kind of the, the idea. Um, but we don't have time to talk about all six of those or all the spiritual disciplines. I've got time tonight and I really don't even have more time tonight, but we've got time tonight for uh, one, one and that is time alone with God. Time alone with God. Um, now the life of a Christian is not about having a quiet time every morning. It's not about giving a 30-minute period of your day to God. The life of a follower of Jesus is about giving 24-7 to Jesus. That to actually walk with Jesus, to walk in step with the Spirit, as Paul would say, is to walk in such a way where you are constantly acknowledging God's presence in your life, that you're seeing him work, that you're in constant conversation with him, that, that you are with Jesus 24-7. But in order to train yourself to, to get there, then it is a very helpful practice to have specific time set aside where you can have special time alone with God. And, and so maybe some of you just need to wake up 30 minutes earlier um, before your class or before your next thing. Maybe you need to, um, uh, if you're not a morning person, maybe you need to spend the time at night or, or at lunchtime or something like that. But all of you, I would highly recommend, if you do not have a habit developed already of special time alone with God, I highly recommend it. It will form you. It will form you. Jesus' invitation to follow him, literally, like in the first disciples, when he says, hey, come and follow me and I will make you, I will form you into fishers of men. That, that come and follow me, literally, what he says is, come with me. If you want to become like Jesus, you've got to do the things that he does and you also have got to be with him. You've got to spend time with him. So let me ask you this question. Do you talk to Jesus? Do you listen to Jesus? Do you spend time in his word? Do you spend extended amounts of time in silence and solitude where there are no distractions? Your phone is off and you are just asking God to speak to you. You're just enjoying his presence. You're just letting him love you and form you. Do you spend that kind of time? I know that sounds super weird, but do you spend that kind of time with Jesus? If you don't, I can promise you. Listen, in my experience with college ministry, I have met very few college students who are struggling with habitual sin um, who, who also have a time alone with God every day. I have experienced very few college students who are struggling with habitual sin and addiction, pornography, gossip, that kind of a thing. Like I, I've experienced very few college students who are struggling with that kind of a thing, habitual sin, and also have a time alone with God every day. I'm not saying that having a time alone with God every day will fix whatever this problem is over here, but what I am saying, the fact remains, I have experienced very little college students who have struggled with habitual sin 
who also have a time alone with God every day. Here's the last thing I want to say. Guys, Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. You may not have any desire to be formed into the image of Jesus. Unbeliever, non-Christian, if you're just trying to figure this thing out, you're here because a friend invited you or something like that, I'm super glad that you are here. And you may be listening to me and going, why would I care? I have no desire to be formed into the image of Jesus. And, and, and everything I said tonight, you know, it, it may sound nice and fluffy or, or whatever. It may also just sound to you like another narrative. You know, if the world has got an agenda for me, it's just telling me stories that, that it wants me to believe. It's trying to turn me into someone. Well, what's the difference? What's the difference between what you and the world are doing, Justin? Like, what's the difference? What is Christianity? What's different about that? Why would I give in to that agenda? And listen, I can't prove anything I'm saying here tonight, scientifically. I can't prove the existence of God. I can't prove you that, that, that Jesus and the Holy Spirit have the power to form you into the image of Jesus. I can't prove that to you scientifically. I really can't. But what I can tell you is that personally, I have tried a lot of the other stories that the world tells. I have believed those lies. I have gone full send into some of those narratives. And every single one of them I've found in my experience and the experience of my friends and things that I've heard from people, every single one of them takes more than they give. Every single one of them takes more than they give. You know, it's, it's, it's like the, the Berlin Wall. You know, the, the Eastern propaganda. Freedom is over here. Freedom is on this side. True happiness is on this side. You are who you are. Or you are who you're supposed to be on this side. They tell, they tell stories like that all the time. What you don't know is that uh, that wall was guarded by armed guards that shot over 140 people who tried to leave. They weren't free. They were slaves. It's the exact same with the world. Whatever the specifics are, the world will call to you. Freedom is over here. Happiness is over here. The real life is over here. They're not offering you freedom. They're offering you slavery. And they will take more than they give. But Jesus doesn't want anything from you. Jesus wants something for you. Jesus gave up all that he had, the equality with God, and he became a man. And he walked this earth and lived the life that you should have lived. He was not deformed. He was just fully formed. And he lived the life that you should have lived, that I should have lived. And he paid the price. He gave his own life so that you might become more like him so that you might be restored to who God created you to be, that you might be more human. Then he rose from the dead, sealing the promise. Everything Jesus says is true. Every promise he makes will be fulfilled. He doesn't take. He gives and he gives and he gives. So I just ask you to consider what's forming you. Is it the world or is it Jesus? One will deform you and the other will make you who you were created to be. Let's pray. Father, God, that is 
It is true that that you offer a gospel that is actually good news. That you tell no lies. That you have no secret agenda. You are not manipulative. You are not offering us a bait and switch that will take away our freedom, that will take away our identity, that will take away who we are. But Father, you are inviting us out of the world that has lied and that has cheated and that has taken from us. And you are inviting us into a new world, into a new age You're inviting us into an eternal life, the life of the age to come, the age where all things are back to the way that you intended them to be, that all things are restored, that all the lies, all the pain, all the brokenness is gone. But Father, it is so hard to believe you sometimes. We are constantly inundated with the lies that this world wants to tell us, Father. So, Father, I pray that you would protect us. I pray that you would keep us focused on you, that you would form us, that you would draw us into yourself, and that we would get to experience the good life of leaning into what you want to do in us, how you want to form us, how you want to change us, how you want to make us whole again. God, I thank you for these students. Father, I know that you love them more than I ever could. Father, I thank you for loving us and I thank you for Jesus and I pray all these things in his name. Amen.